You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The Oak Bay father accused of killing his two daughters on Christmas Day took the stand today in his own defense. Andrew Barry and his lawyers are painting a very different picture about what might have happened that day. Ramina Dea joins us live from outside the courthouse. And Ramina, putting the accused on the stand can be a risky move. Describe what happened today. It's extremely rare, Chris, especially in a murder case of this magnitude. Andrew Barry on the stand today, he looked like a normal dad, dressed in a blue button-down. He was composed. He looked like a father who loved his children and he would never do anything to harm them. The question is, does the jury believe his story? Defense blunt and to the point. Mr. Barry, did you kill Chloe and Aubrey? No, I did not. On December 25th, did you try to commit suicide? No, I did not. Andrew Barry choking back tears several times, gripping the edge of the witness stand when answering questions about his little girl's personalities, what they like to play, and their favorite books. He told the jury they had a really strong relationship. Barry had 40% custody. Defense lawyer Kevin McCullough trying to convince the jury Barry loved his daughters. Someone else killed them, not their father. Christmas morning 2017, the girls opened presents and played in the snow. Defense said Barry is expected to testify that after they returned home, Barry went into his bedroom and was attacked. He then saw Chloe dead and frantically tried to find Aubrey. The attack was brutal and left him in and out of consciousness. Barry's next memory, lying in the bathtub. The girls suffered more than 50 stab wounds. Jurors heard about Barry's mounting gambling debts, $25,000 plus interest, owed to a mystery loan shark, a Chinese man named Paul, who Barry met at the River Rock Casino in Richmond. Barry said he couldn't pay, so he agreed to hold packages, presumably drugs, and hand over the keys to his apartment to buy more time to pay off the loans. Barry testified a rock was thrown through his window, an apparent warning, and two young Chinese men showed up at his door while the girls were home. Amazing testimony there, Ramina, and I understand there was a dramatic mm -hmm. end to it today as well. Extremely dramatic, Chris. Barry was actually crippled over in tears as the jury was leaving. Members of the gallery were also crying as Barry testified about how he tried to hang himself in November 2017, a month before the girls were found dead. And that was because of his bleak financial situation. Now, I have to point out that there was no supporting evidence today regarding who is this person that may have attacked Barry or who exactly are these loan sharks. Remember, the onus is going to be on Crown to prove that Barry actually committed these murders. Crown will get a chance to cross-examine once defense is done. Chris. Romina Day in Vancouver for us. Thanks, Romina. Vancouver police have arrested a 33-year-old man after a woman reported she had been sexually assaulted by a masseur who'd come to her home in downtown Vancouver to provide treatment. 33-year-old Alexander Varfolomeyev is now facing charges. We believe that uh, Mr. Varfolomiv was uh, self-employed and he was working as a masseuse um, and using an internet app called Soothe to book clients who then go to clients' homes and uh, provide uh, massage services.
Varfalameev was released on bail following his arrest. The VPD encourages anyone who may have information or, or who may have been a victim to give them a call. New developments tonight in the raid by Canada Border Services agents at Hastings Racecourse earlier this week. An advocate for the migrant workers who were taken into custody says it was a paperwork issue. Catherine Urquhart is live in the newsroom with the details. Catherine, a paperwork issue, but there's a twist here. Yes, that's right, Sophie. On Monday, as many as 26 migrant workers at the racetrack were suddenly taken into custody by Canada Border Services. 15 were later released. Now, here's the twist. Evidence presented at one of the hearings today revealed that the raid seems to have stemmed from an internal investigation by BC's gaming policy and enforcement branch into one of its own inspectors. It's believed that inspector facilitated racetrack licenses without proper work authorization. Some of the workers allege they paid for the licenses, believing that was all part of the regular work authorization process. They were working at the racetrack under the impression that they were working following the, the rules at the racetrack. They thought that this license was the requirement to work there, and they, they were also told, told that uh, with this uh, payment that they gave, they were going to be able to get a longer-term uh, permit to stay here and work here. Global News has made multiple requests for comment from BC's gaming policy and enforcement branch, but so far, nothing. Now, everyone who works at the racetrack is required to be licensed by BC's gaming and policy enforcement branch. It's the regulator for the entire industry in this province. As for the seven workers who had hearings today, all have agreed to voluntarily leave the country and pay for their own flights home. Sophie, Chris, back to you. Catherine Urquhart reporting live. Catherine, thank you. Abbotsford police are putting out an appeal to speak with witnesses who stopped to help the victim of a hit and run last night. The 77-year-old was walking alone on Marshall Road around 8.30 last night when he was struck by a newer model SUV-type vehicle, according to witnesses. He was rushed to hospital but died of his injuries this morning. Police are now appealing for witnesses, CCTV and dash cam footage to help identify the driver and the vehicle involved. Charges were announced today, more than a year after a crash that rocked New Westminster's lacrosse community. 19-year-old Olivia Malcolm was with her friends when they pulled over to get something out of the trunk and were allegedly struck by Chow Chen of Burnaby. Jordan Armstrong has more on the charges and what Olivia's mother is doing to keep her daughter's memory alive. She would walk into a room and she had a smile and just a calmness about her that brought so much happiness to everybody that she met. Uh-oh. Bridget Malcolm's daughter, Olivia, was just getting started. A young woman with a big heart and a passion for lacrosse, taken just eight days shy of her 20th birthday. It's heartbreaking to wake up every morning and wake up to the same nightmare that, no, she's not going to walk back through that door with her beautiful hello and her beautiful smile. Olivia died June 2nd, 2018 on Highway 17A near Ladner Trunk Road. Her boyfriend had pulled over so Olivia and a friend could get something from the trunk when a jeep struck them from behind. Olivia was killed instantly.
She should be here. She should be here meeting you. She should be here smiling and telling her story of this Queen's Park Arena and this newest Minster community that she grew up in and that she so inherently loves. The driver did stay on scene, but the investigation lasted more than a year. On Friday, 44-year-old Chow Chen of Burnaby was charged with two offenses, including impaired driving causing death. It's the next phase to bring justice for Olivia, to have accountability to the person responsible. Chen has been released from custody with several conditions. He can't drive and he must surrender his travel documents. He's due back in court September 24th. The Malcolm family is keeping Olivia's memory alive with a bursary to fund the post-secondary dreams of deserving students. Olivia had dreams of becoming a teacher. Olivia, I love you, always and forever, and thank you for being our daughter. Olivia loved life, so live it to the fullest. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. The 6 o'clock deadline for tent city residents in Oppenheimer Park to pack up and leave has officially come and gone. And while some have accepted the city's offer of help and are on the move, dozens of others say they aren't leaving. Julia Foy joins us live from the park tonight. Julia, what's the situation there at this hour? Well, right now it's kind of eerily calm. There's still about 50 to 60 tents here, and there are a few people in the park. Someone explained to me that it was Welfare Wednesday today and yesterday, and those are often very quiet days on the street, so maybe people just aren't back at home. But we certainly have seen people trying to move, get their things together. They've been offered some spaces. We're being told that up to 75 people have accepted the offers to move into some new type of accommodation. But as I mentioned, there's still a lot of people here that I think are just wanting to wait and see if they can get a better deal. Here's what someone had to say today. They're going to jail, basically, right? You got 30-day restrictions, you you know, they, they monitor your visitors and, you know, it's like, okay. I mean, it's nice to have a roof over your head and stuff like that. I mean, beggars can't be choosers, right? It's easy to say, oh, yeah, just go live here, but some people don't know how to live, you know? This is all they know. Of course it's better. It's a roof over my head and there's food. But, I mean, as for living, no, it's the same thing, you know? It's worse, you know? Plus, it's worse. I can't be with my fiancé every day. Now, the VPD is also here. Ambulance staff have been uh, roaming around the park. And a number of support service people are here, also trying to offer people some assistance and try and get them to agree to leave the park. At this point, park board staff have to assess whether they will be going to court to get a special court order. And that may happen in the coming days if people don't leave on their own. Back to you. Julia Foy at Oppenheimer Park. Julia, thank you. Some good news today for commuters who use 12th Avenue. The section between Kingsway and Fraser that's been shut down since last month reopened today ahead of schedule. The city began construction along 12th Avenue in July to replace an aging water main dating back to the 1900s. That work is now done, along with a number of additional improvements, including accessibility and safety upgrades to the sidewalks. We will stay on the topic of pipes in the ground because Trans Mountain is mobilizing its workforce. The first wave of regulatory approvals are now complete and work can proceed in communities along the pipeline expansion route. Keith Baldry joins us now from Victoria. Keith, this includes an imminent return to work for those here in Burnaby. 
Yeah, and it's, uh, for many people, this may seem to be a bolt from the blue, but this was planned all along. Uh, Trans Mountain making it clear August was the target date to get construction back up and running. As you say, they're trying to uh, uh, accumulate a workforce, mobilize them now. The call's gone out to contractors. They have 30 days to respond to Trans Mountain and start supplying workers to get the job done at that terminal uh, in Burnaby. So this is what some of the steps are going to be over the next uh, few weeks. First of all, construction is going to begin in several areas. Uh, particularly the Burnaby Terminal is going to be one of them, as well as the Westridge Marine Terminal is going to be another target focus of construction. And also the, the line between Edmonton and uh, Edson in Alberta. So not entirely along the route, but in those targeted areas. How many people are going to be working here? Quite considerable. Trans Mountain says 4,200 people will be employed at various communities along the route uh, between now and when construction is completed. And they're targeting the pipeline to be in service in mid 2022, if they get all the approvals and the uh, permits uh, allowed uh, between now and then. We caught up with a couple of pe key people here, the Minister, Natural Resources Minister, Amarjeet Sohi, talking about how the government thinks it has consulted adequately with First Nations, but Kai Nagata of the Dogwood Initiative says the project fundamentally just doesn't make sense. We were able to get to this day because, and only because, we did the things in the right way, in every step of the way by taking the time we needed to meaningfully consult with indigenous peoples and ensure that all of the necessary steps were taken to protect the environment. I think it's a risky move. I think that we're in the middle of a climate crisis. Uh, public concern around the expansion of oil and gas infrastructure is only growing. And they are talking about spending billions of public dollars in the middle of an election to try to build another big, diluted bitumen export pipeline. So construction will begin soon. That means protests will begin soon, uh, Chris, at, near our global station in uh, Burnaby Mountain. And also the lawsuits will continue apace through the courts. First Nations are challenging this pipeline, as are environmental groups. So still a lot of things to happen before this thing is actually up and running. Certainly not going to be easy. Okay, thanks very much, Keith. Right now, though, a major vandalism spree has left two rail cars once used for tourism rides in Port Alberni with some serious damage. The culprits, two teens, were caught red-handed by the RCMP during their destructive rampage. Kylie Stanton has more on the fundraiser to fix the damage and the interesting twist on who's helping with the cleanup. All broken glass all the way around. Windows smashed and fire extinguishers set off. Seats were all covered in dry chemical powder. It may look bad, but this is a major improvement. It looks amazing. No, compared to what it was. It was broad daylight August 12th when two vandals broke into the Alberni Pacific Valley Railway roundhouse, gaining entry to two locked vintage coaches and proceeding to destroy them. The kids were caught in the act here, so they were taken to the police station and their parents or mothers were notified. The two youths involved have since been charged with mischief, but taking responsibility for their actions is going far beyond a day in court. The parents were very upset right away. The, the mothers phoned and, and offered the services of their kids to clean up the mess and do what they could to help out. It's a move many here are applauding. I think there should be more parents like that. Uh, the unfortunate part in today's society, nobody's accountable. They're always looking to blame somebody else for what they've done. Unfortunately, this is not the first act of vandalism this summer. 
Back in July, passenger seats and two windows were destroyed in open coaches. Tore these seats apart. While the cars are sitting idle right now, they're still a huge tourist attraction. The plan is to soon have the railway operational once again, but the continued destruction is a setback. You know, we've got some frustrated people, discouraged people, but they're people that roll up their sleeves and get the job done. So I still see it hopefully getting back on, on track. Volunteers are already working to replace the windows, upholstery and safety equipment, but it will also take some money. The society has started a GoFundMe page with a goal of raising $10,000. They will also have one of the vandals allowance for the next few months to add to the total. So, you know, they're trying. Hopefully this is a lesson for them and they won't be in trouble again. The two boys will be back to continue their work until the cleanup is complete. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Port Alberni. Well, there are new concerns tonight about online gaming and not just the amount of time children spend playing them. That's right. Experts warn predators are using popular team games like Fortnite to lure and groom children. Grace Key has more on how they're doing it and tips for parents to keep your kids safe. 12-year-old Kai and his 9-year-old brother Alex love online gaming. And when it comes to safety, they know not to reveal too much personal information. Where I live exactly, um, my A, like my exact full name, the school I go to definitely. Their game console was recently moved from the basement to a family room upstairs in an effort for the parents to stay on top of their gaming. Checking in with them to see, uh, you know, who they're playing with and to make sure in particular that they don't ever reveal any information about themselves or our family. You just Fortnite and Roadblox are just two of the hottest online games for kids. With millions of users, you can be playing and chatting with anyone around the world. Yes. And it's just the type of platform child predators take advantage of. They're interested in gaming, so so is the then the offender talks about being interested in certain games and certain aspects and and that begins the grooming process for them cybertip.ca a national tip line for online child sexual exploitation gets three reports a week predators ask for personal information photos and lure kids to other platforms but there are steps parents can take to keep their kids safe the, both of those games actually allow for you to turn off that chat option and both of them also allow for you to be able to monitor who you're accepting into playing a game. The chances of having a problem are probably really small, but if you are that one in a thousand uh, family that does have a problem, then the, the consequences can be absolutely devastating. And if something just doesn't feel right, experts say have your kids walk away and tell you immediately. Grace Key, Global News. Well, two major developments tonight that are raising more red flags about the explosive growth of vaping, especially among young people. A new study says using an e-cigarette just once can damage blood vessels. The U.S. Center for Disease Control is now looking into vaping and lung disease among teens. Linda Aylesworth has more. Vaping among young people is on the rise. In Canada, the rate jumped 74% among 16 to 19-year-olds in just one year. Why? There's absolutely the suggestion in these communities that this is a much safer um, scenario than traditional cigarette smoking. But is it? Dr. Chris Carlston, who's a respiratory medicine specialist at UBC and VGH, has no doubts on the subject. 
I don't think there's any question that there's toxicity. I, I challenge anyone to suggest that there's not toxicity, and indeed most informed people wouldn't, wouldn't say that anymore. Now there's new evidence of the possible dangers. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control is investigating 94 cases of serious lung disease in the last three months. My chest felt like it was collapsing and tightening up and I couldn't breathe. It felt like I was genuinely having a heart attack. 18-year-old Chance Amarada, who's vaped for the last year and a half, underwent surgery after he suddenly fell ill. There are these, in California, Illinois, and other states, um, syndromes that look a bit like pneumonia, but all have been connected to inhalation of, of, of vapor from e-cigarettes. The exact causes of these recent illnesses are unknown, but there are theories. Perhaps it's the e-cigarette itself. And there have been studies uh, in the lab setting showing um, organisms growing in these devices. Or maybe the culprits in the unregulated liquids they vaporize, which can contain any number of chemicals. What we do know is that the problem isn't going away on its own. I suspect, ultimately, that we will see the same type of thing in Canada because there's no reason, fundamentally, it should be any different. It's the same product with the same type of people. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. A retired Richmond fisherman is the proud owner of a giant check with a lot of zeros, $60 million. And he was introduced today as the winner of a record-breaking lottery jackpot. We are here to celebrate the biggest ever lottery jackpot prize awarded here in British Columbia. There he is, Joe Katalinik. He matched all seven numbers in the July 26th Lotto Max draw. He's been retired for 20 years and says he plans to live the rest of his life like a king. Well, when I found out, uh, I checked the ticket and... Uh, when I seen that 60 in there, I, did, I went nuts. Have you done anything to celebrate so far? I had a shot of whiskey and that was it. <laughs> I, 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 I needed it. Yeah. <laughs> I needed it. For the record, it was Johnny Walker, Red Label. He says Excellent. will now perhaps buy more expensive whiskey. <laughs> As for any specific plans on the money besides his whiskey choices, having waited nearly a month to turn in his ticket, Catalinic says he's in no rush to decide how to spend his jackpot. It is the largest lottery prize in B.C. history, topping three previous $50 million Lotto Max winners. Can't think of a more appropriate response to winning <laughs> exactly. $60 million. Good for him. It's good in almost any circumstance, too. <laughs> Perhaps not quite as good as winning the lottery, our forecast. Meteorologist Christy Gordon back at the PNE, enjoying uh, the fair, of course, and big part of the fair, the food, Christy. <laughs> Oh yeah, it sure is. And always a big crowd pleaser, the super dog, Sophie and Chris. Uh, this is Angela Tushik, and she's uh, one of the trainers, along with uh, 13 other trainers in the super dog show. Who is this, Angela? This is Gypsy. She's a Pyrenean shepherd, and she's 10 years old. There are three shows every day down here at the Peony, and you're going to show us uh, your super dog tricks. Not yours, but <laughs> Gypsy's, yes. <laughs> Let's see it. Take it away, you guys. Gypsy, ready? So this is apparently musical freestyle, although it's not with music right now, but it typically is. And Gypsy's actually 10 years old, if you can believe it. Very spry, though. All right. Let's do our little finale here, Angela. Here you go. We've got quite a finale for you. All right, Gypsy. Wait. Ready? Jump. 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 Oh, my. Pretty impressive. 
impressive. Way to, girl. Okay, way to go, bonus. Angela and Gypsy. That was amazing. Good girl. Ten years old, you guys. Pretty good, eh? Love the super Thanks, dogs. Angela. Thank you. Good team. All yeah. right, thanks very much, Christy. Police now say three people were killed in this horrendous three uh, multi-vehicle crash in central Alberta. At least 10 vehicles were involved, seven passenger cars and three semi-trucks, two of them hauling fuel and butane. One truck ignited, leaving most of the vehicles charred hulks. Ten other people were injured, two of them critically. Some more partisan fireworks today in Ottawa over the SNC-Lavalin scandal during a meeting of the House of Commons Ethics Committee. Liberals blocking a motion by the opposition to have the ethics commissioner testify about his report that found Prime Minister Justin Trudeau broke conflict of interest laws. Abigail Beeman has the details. We learned at the start of this meeting that the ethics commissioner was literally on standby. He was ready to join that meeting at any time via video link. But the liberal majority on the committee made sure that wouldn't happen. The liberals were fairly quiet during this meeting, an hour and 20 minutes of discussion before the vote was dominated by opposition parties explaining why the ethics commissioner should testify about his report that found Justin Trudeau pressured then-Justice Minister and Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould into granting SNC-Lavalin a deferred prosecution agreement in its criminal case. The strongest words came from Green Party leader Elizabeth May. This is really scandalous. The Prime Minister is guilty here of the kind of offence for which resignation is appropriate. I leave it to him. I'm not calling for resignation. But it does strike me as beyond belief that this kind of thing could go on. Now, there was precedent here. The first time Trudeau was found to have broken the conflict of interest laws over his vacation to the Aga Khan's private island in 2016, the commissioner testified at committee. But in this case, the Liberals voted against the motion, with the exception of Toronto MP Nathaniel Erskine-Smith, who said he finds the commissioner's findings legally flawed and wanted to ask him about it. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa. Donald Trump escalated yet another international war of words today, explaining why he scrapped a trip to Denmark. Trump telling reporters he didn't like the nasty statement made by Danish Prime Minister Meta Fredriksson in her response to his idea to buy Greenland. Fredriksson called the idea an absurd discussion. Trump saying all she had to do was say, no, we wouldn't be interested. So he's not going. Well, when you see these next pictures, it's almost impossible to believe no one was killed. A small jet crashing in a California field and exploding into flames after an aborted landing. All 10 people on board walked away. Airplane just shut itself off. It's on fire, fully engulfed. The 10 people aboard the small plane, fully engulfed in flames with thick billowing smoke from the aircraft, somehow all survived. Oh, my goodness. The explosive crash at the Oroville Airport happened after the twin-engine jet aborted takeoff, sliding off the runway into dry grass, catching fire. I came out and saw a lot of black smoke that was filling up the sky. There was a lot of concern. With no reports of any serious injuries, the plane was taking off from the small municipal airport near Chico in Northern California, headed to Portland, Oregon. The FAA and NTSB will now investigate what went wrong. I am really shocked that people got out unharmed in this thing. With the airport close to homes. The airplane's still running and the flames are going around it. Firefighters battled to contain flames as the blaze quickly spread and shut down nearby roads.
but tonight crews have the fire under control after eight passengers and two crew members walked away from this crash. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News. Some breaking news in the investigation into the death of 14-year-old Carson Criminy and a warning, some of the video is disturbing. The Independent Investigations Office now says police were called by someone who had seen a Snapchat post of Criminy and was concerned for his welfare. The IIO says two officers attended the area but couldn't find the boy. Carson died of a suspected overdose two hours later. So they're now investigating to determine whether the actions or inactions of the officers might have played a role in his death. And they are asking for any witnesses to come forward. The first video in nearly 15 years of the wreck of the Titanic shows the legendary ship is slowly losing its battle with the ocean. Eerie new footage shot by a team of explorers shows the ship's bow covered in rusticles, formations similar to icicles that are created as bacteria slowly consume the metal. Scientists say the entire ship is being destroyed by bacteria, salt corrosion and ocean currents. They say even the captain's bathtub, which is a favorite image among Titanic enthusiasts, is now gone as the deck is collapsing. The Titanic has been on the ocean floor since 1912 after colliding with an iceberg and sinking on her maiden voyage, killing more than 1,500 people. All right, in health news, the NDP government is imposing new regulations on assisted living and addiction recovery homes, but a mother who lost her son says they don't go far enough. Mental Health and Addictions Minister Judy Darcy and Health Minister Adrian Dix announced today the government will establish new regulations governing assisted living and recovery facilities. Operators will be required to provide program and policy information up front for patients and their families. But Maggie Plett, whose son Zachary died in a Surrey recovery house last year amid appalling conditions, says the changes are a good first step, but they don't go far enough. Because there aren't any rules put in place just yet um, as regulatory uh, mandates on what they are you know, seeking, I'm not too sure if this would have helped my son at all. Um, I'm hoping that something more specific will be you know, in line in the future. Platt says the government should be directly running recovery houses, not private companies. A Colorado boy puts on a breakdancing clinic for a neighborhood cop. After the forecast, the surprising reaction from the officer that's gone viral. They both got some moves. <laughs> Just like those super dogs we saw earlier. Okay, let's go back down to the PE and check in with Christy. Bit of a soaker today, but some improvement is on the way. Let's hope. Yes, already on the way. As predicted, Chris, it's actually a pretty good day to be down here at the PE because we talked about that drying trend and now there's no lineup, so it's perfect. All right, let's talk about this forecast starting off with we love water, though. How much watering does a healthy lawn require per week? One hour, four hours, 10 hours, or 15 hours? I'm going to give you the answer right now. Only one hour. I was actually really surprised to hear this. One hour per week of sprinkling or rain is all you need for a healthy lawn. And actually, overwatering can weaken your lawn's roots. If you want more water-saving tips, go to welovewater.ca. Okay, so 
forecast for tomorrow, it is going to be sunshine and we are going to see temperatures warm up to 20 degrees. So that's below seasonal. So in fact, could be a very comfortable, perfect day to head down to the Peony. Now we will see cloud cover in the morning, but it should clear through the morning hours. Although the Fraser Valley could still see a chance of showers in the morning. Tomorrow, mainly sunny across much of the province, except for the North Coast. By tomorrow evening, another soaker pushes in. And yes, unfortunately, that will affect our Friday, everyone. Not a soaker like what we saw today, but we do have a chance of showers on Friday with mainly cloudy skies. A little unsettled through the weekend, but then next week, everyone, it's going to be a hot one. Yes, starting Monday right through next week, it looks like we're going to be back in a very hot, sizzling summer. All right, here's a look at southern regions for tomorrow. Below seasonal values, but plenty of sunshine on the way. It's one day before we're back to cloud and a slight chance of showers on Friday, back and forth through the weekend, but then Monday we're back to summer. Okay, guys, back to you. All right, thanks very much, Christy. A Colorado cop's reaction to a seven-year-old boy's breakdancing show is going viral. Let's see what he's got. Third grader Jaden Marquez decided to show off his mad skills to an officer known locally as PJ. To his surprise, PJ had some moves of his own. I thought he was going to start dancing like I didn't know he could break dance. He did that freeze, and I was like, oh, okay, so he danced a little bit. I thought it'd be kind of cool if I threw down. <laughs> sure was. Jaden's mother says the encounter means more than dancing because of all the negative news these days about police in America. It was a cool moment, for sure. That's so cute. Mm -hmm. And the policeman did it with all the gear on. Too. Yeah. True. Yeah. And the, quite heavy. with the gun, I feel like maybe take the gun belt off. <laughs> Put the safety on, for sure. <laughs> I like this. I get bolstered. it. You're wearing anchors because you're one of the anchors. Because I'm an anchor, yeah. I like that. Good one. <laughs> oh, wow. That was a quick rim shot by uh, My Jeff shirt is audio? the punchline. I know. <laughs> is there still hope yeah. for the BC Lions, Squire? To do what? <laughs> win a game. Win, uh, yeah. That, oh, that, let's sure start they, there. They, I think they could probably win a game <laughs> between game now time. and the end of the sale. You know, I think they have Toronto one more time, so that's a chance. Yeah. Uh, the BC Lions have nine games left in the regular season. Six of them at home. Saturday, they host Hamilton at BC Place. At 1-8, and eight, chances of making the playoffs are about as good as Chris fitting into this sports jacket. Before uh, the season started, most of the Lions' optimism, and there was plenty, came from the fact they signed, of course, Mike Riley away from the Edmonton Eskimos. Now, you wonder, after a 1-8 and eight start, with all the sacks he's been taking, if Riley ever wishes, he never took that Lions contract offer and instead stayed in Edmonton. He says he has no second thoughts about it, despite spending every game under constant pressure. I mean, obviously not happy, of course, like I said, with the results that we've had, but, uh, but I look at it as I'm part of the problem and, and try to figure out how I can play better, um, you know, to give us better results. And I think everybody on our team needs to and does look at it that way. You know, I don't think that uh, you're ever going to have success if you start pointing the finger at everybody else and saying, man, you know, I would be doing so great if somebody else was doing their job right. They can't figure out this blitz from the safety, blitz from Big Hill. And we also always talk about do your job. Do your job, figure out how you can do your job better to help the team win, and, and I haven't done my job well enough. Canada's Bianca Andreescu is seated 15th at the upcoming U.S. Open tennis tournament. Felix Auger-Aliassime is ranked 18th on the men's side, and Milos Ronic is 21st. Last year's champions, Novak Djokovic and Naomi Osaka, are the top seeds. Speaking of last year and Osaka, 
Do you all remember this? The exchange in the final between Serena Williams and the umpire when she was accused of getting signs from her coach during the match. Well, the chair umpire's name, who was getting an earful from Serena, is Carlos Ramos. Today, the U.S. Open announced that no matter what, he will not work any matches with Serena Williams this year, nor will he umpire any matches involving her big sister, Venus Williams. But he will be allowed to work other matches. Second straight night this happened in Minnesota. Yep, the squirrel is disrupting the game. But watch this. The squirrel now right through the wickets. <laughs> so not only is he disrupting the game, he's doing it with precision. And apparently he does have a little house somewhere in the outfield. Great place to find peanuts. I wonder if he paid for a ticket though. Uh, back in the day, most head covers in golf, the kind you see over fairway woods, drivers and putters, were leather. Golf went away from that, but leather is making a comeback, thanks in part to a young man from Coquitlam. You're watching the latest creation from Rawhide Golf take shape. The small Coquitlam company specializes in designing and crafting handmade high-end leather golf accessories. Be it custom head covers for your driver, putter, or anything you want personalized. It's funny, a lot of customers come to you with just a very basic idea. Like, you think you've got this custom process. They're like, hey, can you throw a number one and make it purple or something like that? And it's like, okay, but the stuff that I enjoy is like the challenges of like, how do I actually bring this idea to life, right? Caleb Jeffries started Rawhide Golf two years ago. As a child, he watched his mother run a successful blanket business. Back then, he never touched a needle or thread. Now he's about as hands-on as one can get. Caleb designs, crafts, cuts, and produces in-demand leather goods, all from the friendly confines of his garage. And business is booming. So how much have you grown in two years' time? Take me back to when you made your first head cover to where you are now. Yeah, I mean, it would be a point of kind of, let's say, you're doing... 20 a month or something like that more just through your buddies you know different people that say hey can you do this and starting to experiment making different like skews trying out a putter cover where you know now sort of going through that sort of 150 a week kind of volume so picking up and starting to kind of move more into the corporate and some of the different country clubs his locally made products have become extremely popular in the golf community what's truly impressive is the quality of caleb's work sells itself he hasn't made a single sales call Rawhead golf can be found all over North America and not just in the bags of weekend hackers. Can you name drop for us? Yeah, so I've worked with Bryson DeChambeau, uh, Dylan Fratelli, Kevin Na, Wyndham Clark, Norman Young, um, and, and then Stephen Ames, Roger Sloan. So working with some Canadian players as well. Getting to know some of these guys, it's, you know, they're just regular people that are looking for, you know, ways to kind of tell their story on their bag. But yeah, it's, it's been pretty surreal. Jay Janowar, Global Sports. I know. We were intrigued by the foot-long fries mm-hmm. earlier I'm this sure week. sure you were. And the chicken uh, skin. Oh, and the chicken <laughs> skin. Well, let's all combine them into one big smorgasbord <laughs> of strange peony food. Of course, every year, these guys and women bring new cuisines to our attention. It is nice to have the familiar comfort foods of the peony, the stands that are there every year. But the fair has also become the testing ground for culinary contrivance. What is happening to your ice cream? This is a, sort of a dry ice 
smoke effect that we do with the butterbeer. Butterbeer is named after a drink from the Harry Potter novels. There's no beer in it. It's basically butterscotch and shortbread tasting. You always got to mix it up and do something exciting and people come to a fair to eat and they want to try something different. Despite a broken wand, it's magical ice cream. You can use that if you want. <laughs> if you've always thought, why don't they make French fries longer? You're in luck. So, potatoes are not 12 inches. So, no, how does this work? This is, I, I told you that the secret recipe from the potatoes. There's a secret to this. Secret recipe, yeah. Okay. Well, he was nice enough to show us the secret. And the secret appears to be potato dough. Now, if freak fries aren't your thing, maybe you'd like some blooming onions. So, this is our uh, Mighty Zeus Blooming Onion. It's new this year. So, how I decided to do this was I based it on a Greek salad. And I was like, a Greek salad on an onion sounds good. And just like with the French fries, we got a bit of a behind-the-scenes look at the blooming onion. We peel our onions, we leave the stem underneath so that they stay together. We place them underneath here, and we slowly place them in. And they don't break apart because you have the stem. And you have the stem, they don't break apart, and there you go. There's a guy here from Florida selling pickle pizza, which he and his mom invented last winter. And it's been popular? Oh, it's just, it blows up everywhere we go. Once the media gets a hold of it, it just kind of takes off. Now, pickle pizza is different, but is it as different as this? Deep fried chicken skins. Um, at the uh, Calgary Stampede, the Edmonton K-Days, chicken skins have been selling like crazy. Really? Yes. Were you there? Yes. Were you surprised? Uh, a little bit. I get a little bit more than that. <laughs> no, I pretty much got it. <laughs> you know what? It, it just tastes like you're eating fried chicken, basically, without the meat, of course. But so if you're looking to take your stomach on a different kind of ride, there are lots to choose from. <laughs> oh, you're not going back for sections of that chicken skin. I, had I about, know it. I had about that much of the deep fried chicken you skin. You need to. Just I need to what? Have a bigger bite. <laughs> no. Dip it in chocolate. Chocolate covered chicken skin. Oh my God. It's delicious. I'm sure Christy's down there eating away right now. Thank you very much for watching. Enjoy it if you go. It's supposed to be a beautiful night down there. Good night, all.